And today we begin our message with a little bit of a story uh, that's going to involve you at the end. Um, And uh, it goes like this. Prince Frederick was going into battle. He had heard that that his foe was marching against him with an army of well-armed men. So what he did was he uh, arranged to uh, have his armor bearer, uh, as they did in those days, come and help him to put on his armor. So he put on his tunic, he put on his belt, he put on his shoes, he put on his, his leggings, he put on his helmet. But when, when it came to his breastplate, he said, no thanks, I can get by without that. I don't need that. And he went off into battle against his well-armed foe. Now, a breastplate protects the soldier from the neck to the midsection, front and back, to guard, you know, this area that's pretty vital, you know, in here. Now, this is your part. What do you think happened to Prince Frederick, who went off to battle against his well-armed foe without a breastplate? It, it, It doesn't look good for Prince Frederick, does it? Okay. Now, the, the, another question could be, why would anybody do this? I mean, you, 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 know, you hear this, it's like, what, what's, what's wrong with this guy? He must be mentally deranged or something. What's going on? Why, why would anybody do this? Either, you know, he uh, underestimate, you know, somebody might underestimate their enemy, Frederick might underestimate his enemy, or a person might overestimate themselves, or they might underestimate the battle, not take the battle seriously. So Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in in the heavenly realms. Now, Paul likes to speak in athletic terms as well as military terms. So when he uses a word like struggle, for example, it's the same kind of word that he would use to describe, and you know, this comes to mind when we've got the Olympics coming up and their origins and you know, that ancient world that Paul knew so well, but it, but it describes the struggle uh, between two wrestlers so that this battle is up close, it is personal, it's something that, that uh, there's no escaping, and this opponent of yours is big and mean and strong. The days are evil, and Satan is on the loose. This last week, uh, we heard about more uh, tragedies, more um, shootings, and, and um, there was a bombing, um, I think it was in Pakistan. And as I would hear these things, I, you know, the first thought is, oh, man, that's too bad. That's really tragic. And then I, I got to confess that the second thought, and this is not good, is, well, at least it wasn't in this country. Huh? You know, it's like these things are becoming so commonplace I, you know, it's easy to get jaded, that, that evil is so rampant in our world today that we can look at it and just shake our heads and say, what in the world's going on? Well, the foe is strong. And as Paul describes here, it's not just against flesh and blood, it's a spiritual battle. Therefore, this is his advice to Prince Frederick and to you and to me. Don't hold back. Use everything at your disposal. Put on, like you are wearing them, these spiritual characteristics 
and then he assigns various uh, you know, characteristics of a Roman's, Roman soldier's armor to these various spiritual characteristics. Put these things on to defend you in this battle, including the breastplate, including the breastplate of righteousness. So the question is, what is righteousness? Now today... Um, you know, when you heard Brenda talking about righteousness up here and talking about um, how it's uh, being right side up instead of upside down, you know, and I was picturing for myself, uh, I've got a bad back. I broke it skiing a number of years ago, but I've got this inversion bench at home that, where I hang upside down, you know, and it really helps the back. If you've got a bad back, this is a really good thing to do sometimes. And uh, one day I was hanging upside down on this inversion bench, and my wife bought, brought me the phone because somebody had called me. I think it was my son called me. And he said, hey, what you doing? I said, oh, just, hanging around, just hanging out. And, um, and, and yeah, you know, but, but it's good to you know, get back upright again. I mean, eventually it's kind of tough to hang in that position. It's good to be upright. It's good to practice the right thing. But the question is, what is the right thing? You know, what is, what is righteousness? Righteousness sounds like legalistically doing all the right things, dotting all the... I's, crossing all the T's, and uh, a whole lot of doing the right thing. But in, in the Bible, really, specifically, if we were to define righteousness, what it is is about right relationship. So that God, for example, if we were to describe God as acting righteously, what we would be looking for is God acting as God should act in relation to sinful and fallen people. And people acting as though they know that there is a God and, and, and they are not that God and acting as they should act in that kind of a situation with that God. So they would be acting righteously. It involves a relationship. As a matter of fact, in, in just human relationships, if you look at your own relationships, you probably know when a relationship that you are in, that matters anyway, is going right, it's going well, or when it's not. And you probably don't use this term, but you could use this term to say that a relationship that is going well is righteous. It's upright. It's, it's, it's happening. It's, it's working, okay? And, and specifically, though, in Scripture, it uses that word to describe our relationship with God. Now, in the teaching that we just heard a little while ago uh, from Jesus, where uh, he is speaking into this culture that is highly religious, and he's saying, don't practice your acts of righteousness to impress other people. Okay, don't, don't do these things to impress other people. And what would happen then would be that in that culture, they were so impressed when somebody would act in this right way toward God that, that people like the Pharisees, they'd go around with these long prayers out in public and, and uh, trumpets and all this kind of stuff to try to announce what they were doing, not to uh, impress God, but really to impress other people so that they would stand up pay attention, and give them honor. And, and Jesus is saying, don't, don't be captured by the opinion of other people. Now, it would be a little bit like this, okay? If uh, you were to go out for lunch, for example, with somebody, and you're looking forward to this conversation with this, with this friend, maybe you haven't seen them for a while, and you sit down at lunch, and, and uh, you find out pretty quickly, though, that the person is not speaking with you, but rather the spirit person is acting as though they are talking to you, but really they're talking to everybody else in, in the restaurant you know, nice and loud so that they can be heard by these other people in the restaurant. And pretty soon you're thinking, man, this is pretty weird. And after a while, you're a little bit offended. 
It's like after a while you're saying, hey, come on, man, I'm just here to talk with you. Let's, let's just talk. What am I, chopped liver? So Paul is saying this to us with this. It's like that. Talk to God. Be real with God. Invest in that relationship. Put him above the opinion of the people around you. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, protect your relationship with him. Invest in that. Now, Paul did not uh, carelessly assign different spiritual characteristics to these different characteristics different parts of the Roman soldier's armor. He chose them carefully. So when we look at how the breastplate is assigned to righteousness, what we can see is this, that the breastplate was designed to protect the soldier's uh, vital organs from harm. And right there at the center of those vital organs is a person's heart. Uh, it would be vital to protect that, to protect their life. Now, the heart, uh, you know, for thousands of years, including today, has come to represent something figuratively as well, a person's emotions, a person's affections. So that, uh, like at Valentine's Day, for example, we see the symbol of hearts all over the place because it has to do with uh, the symbol of love, you know, love toward another person, or in this case, love toward God and from God. So, so what he's saying here is protect your heart so that it is true to God, that it still continues to love God and receives love from God. Protect that. Now, if a person were to speak in kind of romantic language, maybe this doesn't happen all that often these days, and they're talking about somebody that uh, they have fallen in love with, they might say something like, they have stolen my heart. And the Lord here is saying, there's all kinds of things that can steal your heart away from the Lord, but protect it. Guard your heart with that breastplate of righteousness. Now, with the people of Israel in the Old Testament, we can see this love story between God and these people. And the people were given every reason to love God. They were people that were set free from slavery in Egypt. They were um, saved when their backs were up against the sea. Uh, from the Egyptian army. They were provided for and led through the wilderness. They were brought to the promised land and given the gift of this wonderful land. They were given victory over their enemies. They were protected. God was with them. And in response to all of this uh, that was given to them, what did they do? Their heart was stolen by others. And the Bible talks about it in terms of relational kinds of terms when it talks about it like a, a marriage relationship that Israel, that God's people, were unfaithful to God. They were, they were like uh, people who had committed adultery against God. Their heart was stolen by another. Now, the question is, today, if we look at today, do you suppose that we have any less things, any fewer things today that might tempt or steal our, to, to steal our heart away than they did in those days? Absolutely not. In our uh, highly developed culture, I think we've highly developed new ways to have our hearts stolen away from God. And um, exhibit A of that, I think, is if we would take a look at the contrast between the culture into which Jesus was teaching with that lesson that we heard earlier and our culture today, okay? And the culture in which Jesus was teaching, as we talked about, that is a highly religious culture where uh, it was considered to be virtuous. It was considered to be something that was um, uh, worth honor to be a person who was righteous, to be somebody who um, would have this right relationship with God and practice acts of righteousness. Faith mattered. You know, relationship with God mattered. 
Today, so therefore, the temptation that Jesus was speaking about was make sure that, you know, these things that you're doing really guard your heart in, in, in Him and that your heart is not stolen away by the opinion of others. You know, that that becomes your God. So today, instead of that, we have this culture where uh, people are more likely uh, not to show their faith, not to show their acts of righteousness publicly because they are afraid of the opinion of others, right? That today, you know, in, in our culture today, it is not something to be honored to be a person of faith. It is not something to be esteemed to be somebody that stands up for the Lord. As a matter of fact, it's quite countercultural to do so. So it's a different kind of a culture today. Now, uh, a number of years ago, I was driving through... Uh, South Dakota stopped at this dive restaurant with my son driving up, up to college. And we had lunch there together, prayed before we ate. And after lunch, after we paid the bill and got up to leave, this man came over to us and he uh, had some real emotion. And he said to us, hey, I just, I just got to thank you guys. I want to thank you uh, because you prayed before you ate. I saw that. And it is so rare these days to see anybody pray before they eat. Now, we didn't, we didn't pray before we ate to impress this guy. As a matter of fact, we didn't even know he was there. You know, we, we prayed because there was this love of the Lord that, that we were responding to, and we were genuinely grateful for this time together to be able to sit down and receive this food. But these days, I think he's right, that people may even use the gospel lesson that we had for today as justification for not shining their light publicly for not practicing their faith in public but making it a private matter. There, uh, Linda um, in uh, Denver used to work for a uh, really great Christian guy who was a dentist. And uh, every year he would take this team of people over to Africa where he would provide free dental care to or- orphans of the AIDS epidemic and to uh, AIDS patients and uh, provide for these people free of charge and, and bring people over that where he'd pay their way and things like that for his team. And he was doing this great thing because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And one day I spoke with him and I said, hey, why don't you um, allow me to you know, set you up with a, a newspaper reporter and they can interview you and it would be great to be able to let people know what you're doing here so that, um, you know, that, that the world can see what it is that faith motivates one person to do, faith in Jesus. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it, maybe in part because of this passage, because the passage seems to say that we shouldn't make these things public. But what it's saying is do not be captured by the opinions of others. Don't let your heart be captured by that. Instead, elsewhere, Jesus says this, let your light so shine before others. The same Jesus that made this, gave us this teaching says this, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And meanwhile, while, while we go about our, our faith business in secret, we look around and wonder why the darkness is increasing. Because our light, which is, being, which is there, is not shining for others to see. When we were singing this song earlier, um, My Lighthouse, I thought about uh, in northern Minnesota on, on the north shore of Lake Superior, there's uh, this one lighthouse called the Split Rock Lighthouse. 
And before they put this thing there, it's on these cliffs on the North Shore, and it was considered to be a death trap there where these ships would come and they were all kinds of shipwrecks there until they put this lighthouse there that would light up the darkness. And then it was safe passage for these ships to be able to make it by. Today, what we see is a rise in the darkness because we need a lighthouse. We can't just look at it and say, okay, well, that's, that's God's job. That's Jesus' job. He's got to show. No, he set up the church and believers in the church to be that light shining in the world so that it is not a death trap. And the good news is this, folks, is that when we look out at the darkness today, we don't have to despair because the answer begins with you and me. When we begin to shine our light and say, you know what, this relationship with the Lord, I don't care what the world says. My heart is not captured by the opinion of others. Instead, it's captured by Jesus Christ. I'm going to let that light shine in this world, and that's going to make a difference one person at a time. But Christians, Christians oftentimes are captured by the opinion of this world far too often, and the light doesn't shine and the ships sink on the rocks in the darkness. God, in the Old Testament, when he was looking at these people of Israel, his people, he was looking around at them, and and his heart was broken because the relationship with people was broken. So uh, he looked around in Isaiah 59 and says this, he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. God was alone. So his own arm, worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He didn't abandon people. He was still righteous. He was still acting as God in this world. People abandoned God. So he put on righteousness as his breastplate. Sound familiar? And the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. God cares so much about this relationship with you that he is fighting for it. He's fighting for this relationship. And it goes on to talk about how he sends a redeemer to Zion. He himself. And the redeemer is Jesus who goes to that cross to pay the price for a relationship with you. He takes his own breastplate of righteousness off, sets it aside so that he might receive the wounds that belong to us so that you can pick up that breastplate of righteousness and wear it yourself, which means now you invest in that relationship that Jesus paid for, that his love for you is that deep that he would go to that length. The question is now, what do you do with that love? Where do you go with that? To do something with that love means that you're going to be swimming upstream against a current in this culture that is definitely working against you. It means that you're going to be a rebel against the current in this culture. You bunch of rebels, you know, coming here on a Sunday morning to worship God to invest in that relationship, to hear His Word. You bunch of rebels, you should be arrested. As a matter of fact, in an awful lot of cultures, you would be arrested for doing what you are doing here today. Most people today, if we were to take a look at surveys, would say that they believe in God. But few practice the things that really actually invest in a relationship with God. That's swimming upstream. Saying that I believe in God 
But don't practice the things that invest in a relationship with God. It's a bit like saying that I believe in hang gliding and jump off the cliff without a hang glider. Or saying that I believe in parachuting and jump off jump out of a perfectly good airplane without first strapping a parachute on my back. Either way, it's not going to end well. You know? The relationship with God, that righteousness is what Jesus came to die on that cross to give us. That's what he came for. And you have a choice in the matter. You have the choice to put on practices that guard your heart in Jesus, that keep it from being stolen by another, or to sell out to the world like the rest of humanity and reap the separation from God that comes with that territory. So choose to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand up for this relationship. Protect your heart doing what you do because you love the Lord and value your relationship with Him as a member of a rebel army called the church. And Jesus said that even the gates of hell can't prevail against that army. So put on the breastplate of righteousness. Amen.